Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. you to grab your Bibles, Exodus chapter 15. All right, let me recap last week, okay? Last week we were in Exodus chapter 14, and what we talked about is God is the God of impossibilities, okay? So God brought His people, the people Israel, out of slavery in Egypt. He brought them out in a mighty way. He brought them into the wilderness, to the edge of the Red Sea, and as the people got to the edge of the Red Sea... They had been celebrating and, and, and rejoicing that they were free and they got to the edge of the Red Sea and now they're stuck. They're stuck in what seemed like an impossible situation. We asked the question last week, have you ever been in what seemed like an impossible situation? So most of the time, those things are impossible because we have worked God out of the equation. But if we are willing to step back from whatever circumstance that we are in, and leave room for God to work, He will work. We saw last week that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, that the people grumbled, that Moses grew, and that God was faithful. That God was faithful. God was faithful. He had not given up on His people. He had not left them out in the middle of the wilderness. He had not brought them out as some kind of evil joke. Ha ha, I've set you free. Now you're going to die right here. But if God had made a promise to his people, God will fulfill what he promised. And so we saw that last week. This week, we're in Exodus chapter 15, and we're going to take a turn, and we're going to ask the question, who are we? In other words, who has God created his church to be? And you're like, Ryan, okay, we're in the book of Exodus. How in the world are we going to look at the book of Exodus and see a church? How are we going to see church? Isn't this a couple thousand years before the church is birthed? Well, maybe. But God was not doing one thing here and now another thing here. But God has always been building a people for himself. Always been building a people for himself. The church has always been his goal. We You and me were always a part of God's plan. If you are in Christ, you are a part of His beloved people. And He has a plan for you. So who are we? And so the first thing that I want you to see 
in chapter 15 is that God created his church or us to be a singing people, a singing people. Now, I'll bet if we were to take a straw poll out there, there would be some people who say, I love singing. I sing everywhere I go, right? And then there are other people who are like, I don't like singing. I don't sing. I sing solos, right? So low that you can't hear me. You probably heard that old corny joke. Okay, so now, now singing is an interesting thing. Now, I just remember my journey of church and learning about singing inside the church. And so where I first, my first experience in church is with my grandmother, First United Methodist Church, Montgomery, Alabama. It was not a joyous kind of singing there. All right. Then I went to Eastmont Baptist Church, Montgomery, Alabama. And there at Eastmont Baptist Church, it was just a very stuffy uh, experience from what I remember. But I was in youth group and we sang songs like, it's a big, big house. Anybody remember that? You grew up on that? I don't know why we sang that song, but it's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. Okay, I don't know. All right. Then I went to Community Bible Church in Highlands, North Carolina, and they're closet Presbyterians, all right? And so there at Community Bible Church, I began, we began to learn what worship was. We would sing, and we had a youth band that would play worship songs for us, and, and, and even in um, services, our youth were involved, and we learned how to sing and worship. But then I met this woman named Liz. And she took me to a Pentecostal church. And now, Pentecostals don't sing, they sang. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when I saw people at the, the, the beginning of the service stretching, I was like, why are they doing that? She's like, they're just getting warmed up, Ryan, just getting warmed up. When the flags came out, I was like, I got to get out of here, right? No, okay, so I've had a journey, and now the last 20 years, basically, of ministry have been in a Baptist church, and so my journey of ministry has been interesting. Now, you probably remember the times where there were worship wars in the church, where there were almost like subdivided sections of people inside the church going, we want to sing this kind of song, and we want to sing this kind of song. And they, it was like people pitting themselves together over songs and singing and worship. And you might remember some of that. Maybe, maybe some of you had some bad experiences through that time. But I believe that there is so much difficulty and so much confusion around singing because it matters so much to God. And so anytime, I loved what we sang this morning, anytime where we make singing worship about us, preferences, desires, it ceases to be worshipful before a heavenly father. It's all about him. It's all about him. It matters. It's at the center of who God's church is supposed to be. It is, and Satan doesn't like it when we get it right. He doesn't like it when our choir leads us in worship and singing before the Lord. And so he doesn't like it when we get past all the difficulty, confusion, and, and when we learn to delight in the one that we're singing about, the object of our praise. And so the, I want you to see four things, I think, today in this passage. The first one I want you to see is that we're a singing people. Okay? Exodus chapter 15. Here's my evidence. Okay? Uh, in, in the scriptures, we're a singing people. In the scriptures, singing... 
uh, is referenced over 500 times in the Bible, singing. Commands to sing are over 50 times. And now, if you go back and you step back from the Scripture and you realize that about a third of the Old Testament is poetry. And poetry was often sung. Then you say, whoa, it's a lot more than 500 times if you think about all of the poetry that was often sung in the Bible. We are a singing people. Why? What was the first song you learned as maybe a Christian? Jesus loves me, this I know. You will never forget the words. What's that next line in there? We, we learn by doing what? Singing. We sure do. I woke up this morning and I, I said, Miles, I got, you know what song I got stuck in my head? And I sang um, a song about the purchase of Louisiana that we learned in homeschool two years ago. I don't know why it's on my brain, but I'm singing in 1803, the purchase of Louisiana from France prompted westward desperation. All right, sorry. I can remember it. I don't know why, but I, we learn. We are a singing people, and we learn through singing. 500 times it's referenced directly. 50 commands in the scriptures to sing. Do you know how many times it says fear not in the Bible? 365. How many times it, does it reference singing? Over 500. Singing is central to who we are. Now, there's a book that I'd like to uh, put out to you. It's by a guy named Jim Thompson. He is a, uh, one of the teaching pastors at Fellowship Greenville in, in Greenville. And, and he wrote a book called Sing Loud, Die Happy. Sing Loud, Die Happy. An exploration of how God's gift of song is meant to change us. Great book. Great book, but he has written so much on this idea. And, and now, here's what I want you to hear. Christopher said it a minute ago. Hey, here's how I know we're a singing people, because our God, God the Father, is a singing God. Did, did you know that? Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 says, The Lord our God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will rejoice or exult over you with loud singing. Have you ever thought that when you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that God the Father sings over you? What a beautiful thought. What a beautiful thought. The Son sings. Jesus sings. Mark 14, verse 28. Just before He's about to be betrayed... They finished the Passover meal, and it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. What was Jesus doing right there? Singing. Now, likely, you would have sang Psalm 118, which points forward from a, a thousand years, Psalm 118, a thousand years to the coming of Jesus, who is the cornerstone that would be rejected by men and precious in the sight of God. He sings. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. This is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I, the Messiah, Jesus, I will sing your praise. 
So you've got Jesus, the Son, singing the praise of the Father in the congregation of all the people. Do you think about that very often? What does the Spirit do? Ephesians chapter 5, the Spirit leads people to sing. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Don't be filled with wine or drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, verse 19, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Jim Thompson says, When the Holy Spirit fills a heart, it will be accompanied by a song filling your mouth. It will be. We are a singing people. And so that brings us to Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying. Now, I want you to understand this this passage, verses 1 to 21, or really verses 1 to 18, are the first recorded corporate song in all of Scripture. And this song is referenced over a hundred times in the Bible from the book of Exodus to the book of Revelation chapter 15. This song is referenced. In Revelation chapter 15, they sing the song of the Lamb and the song of Moses. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? This song is referenced so many times. Why? Because singing is a way to tell the story of what God has done for you and for me. It is a way to teach the coming generation and to remind us to trust Him in what we're going through today. That's what what singing does. It reminds us of what He's done, teaches the coming generation, and encourages us to trust Him again. So look at verse 1. It says, Then they sang. Then Moses and all the people of Israel sang this song. What's the then therefore? What just happened? Let me just give a reminder. God's people are set free from slavery. They're set free from slavery and they witness the miraculous power of God in crossing the Red Sea. As they set their feet on dry ground, what happens? A song comes on their lips. Now, this song in the Bible is also known as the song of redemption. Now, redemption is a two-sided coin. A two-sided coin. One side of the coin of redemption is what we call the purchase of redemption. And then the other side is the power of redemption. The purchase of redemption, the power of redemption. In this idea of the purchase of redemption and the power of redemption, what was the price that God paid for the people of Israel in Egypt to set them free? It was the The blood of the Lamb. And then there's the power of redemption. There's the price, the purchase. It's what God paid to set a people free. And then there's the power of redemption. And the power is the application of the price to a people that He desires to set free. And what is the application of that power? What is the power? It is the Red Sea. There at the Red Sea, they come. They, the Egyptians are barreling down on them, and they're in panic mode. Moses, have you brought us out here because there are no graves in Egypt? Is that why you brought us here? What are we going to do? And God says, just stand back and watch me work. If you'll give me room to work in the middle of your impossible situation, I will do what only I can do. But if you engineer me out of your life, 
or out of your church or out of your family. If you engineer me out of your life, I will have no room to work. If you don't believe that I can do it, Jesus, it says of him in Mark chapter 6 in Nazareth, he could do nothing because of their unbelief. You don't want to give room for Jesus to work? He'll give you exactly that. But if you give me room, if you give me room, have you given Jesus room? There's purchase, price, and power. There is deliverance. And where was the deliverance applied? At the crossing of the Red Sea. It was there that not only had the price been paid, but now deliverance was accomplished. Because the Lord took care of all of his enemies. Not a single Egyptian lived that day. Not a single Egyptian army person lived that day. Every last one of them. Every chariot rider. Every horseman was thrown into the sea. And God accomplished deliverance through his power on that day. Let me ask the question, does that sound familiar? There's a man named Jesus. He paid a price to redeem us. And the price was the what? His blood of the Lamb. And then he applied the power to deliver his people. And what's the power? The resurrection. That's why Revelation chapter, I think it's five, says that Jesus is the lion. And the lamb. He is the lamb who's standing as though he's been slain. And he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lamb is the purchaser of our redemption. And the lion is the powerful emancipator. He is the one who sets us free from sin and death. Both sides of that are what redemption is. And so... Why, why do we bring this up right here in this passage? Because it has everything to do with worship. Now, I have a question. Now, uh, if, if you go to a ball game, do you have to teach um, fans on your favorite team, whatever your favorite team is, how to cheer when they win? Do you have to teach them? No, you sure don't. You sure don't. Now, I'm an Auburn fan, so you can say, woe is Ryan. Uh, I'm an Auburn fan. Well, our, our motto is there's always next year. Uh, that's what we got going for us. But as an Auburn fan, um, last week we had a new interim head coach start named Cadillac Williams. And listen, they, the, Auburn was, the, the, the fans of Auburn University were so excited about the game and they didn't even win because for the first time in a long time, they were simply celebrating that they didn't do that bad. Now, if you don't have to teach fans to cheer when their team does well and they won last night, if you don't have to teach them how to cheer when their team does well, why is it that we have to teach God's people to celebrate and worship when they are set free from sin and death? I don't like singing. Why? Why? Because the people of Israel, when they came through the Red Sea, they didn't say, okay, 
Let's have a church conference and discuss what we're going to do next. No, let's have a worship service. Let's sing. Why? For, verse 1, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. So they commemorate all that God has done. How? Through a song. Here's the point. God created you to be a singing people. Created us to be a singing people. Now, I I was confronted by something that I'd always kind of said beforehand. But here's something that I was confronted with that I want to share with you. Now, when it talks about angels, angels, they don't sing. It says they shout, they praise, they worship. Revelation chapter 7, they're not singing. They're saying with a loud voice. Now, it could be singing, but here's my point. The only time that you see singing used is when it's referring to God's redeemed people. God has created His redeemed people to be a singing people. And if you prove me wrong, please prove me wrong. That would be a great conversation, but I can't find it just yet. Just for the redeemed or singers. Second thing I want you to see out of this passage is out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth sings. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth sings. Look at verse 1 to 3. I will sing glory, or sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is. If you've got your Bible and you want to circle that, that's an important is right there. He is my strength. He is my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise Him. My Father's God and I will extol Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Singing in their mouth was a response to redemption in their heart. Jesus says it in Mark chapter 7. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's my question. There are some of us out here today maybe that are are struggling with singing because you say, how can I sing when I'm not certain that I've experienced redemption? You know what Jesus has done. I mean, of course, like children, my, my children, my Ella can tell you what Jesus did on the cross for her. That he died on the cross To forgive people of sins and her of sins. But do I believe yet that she has been taken by the power of God that saves? Has Has she been born again by the miraculous power of God? Has she been delivered from her old life to be made new? I don't believe so just yet. I'm praying you can join me. Pray for our children. All of them. But listen... So you might know what Jesus has done for you, but have you received God's deliverance from sin? Have you been born again by the Holy Spirit's power? Have you been made new by God? It's going to be really hard to sing if you've not experienced the power of deliverance. Listen, I mean, just listen to what they sing about. He has triumphed gloriously. 
He is my strength. He is my song. He has become my salvation. Gosh, what's in their hearts is coming out from their lips in singing. In singing. But I want you to look at the contrast. There is a contrast that I think God intends for us to see. Now, in chapter 14, in chapter 14, they come out and they begin, the people of God in verses 10 through 12, they begin to grumble against Moses because they have been put in a hairy predicament. They don't know what to do. They're stuck. Chapter 15, verse 24. So we've got the song of Moses, the song of redemption in 15, 1 to 21. In the very following passage, verses 22 and following, they begin to grumble. Verse 24, against Moses, what shall we drink? And he, he cried to the Lord. The Lord showed him a log, throw it in there. There was bitter water. They grumbled. Verse, chapter 16, verse 2, they were hungry. They grumbled. 16, 7 through 12 says, God says, they're not grumbling against you, Moses, but they're grumbling against me. Chapter 17, verse 2, they quarrel because there's no water. Now, we have to see what's happening in this passage. God has created His people, redeemed His people to be a singing people, yet they come out of this. God has been faithful to them. They say the Lord has triumphed gloriously. But now what? And they grumble. They grumble. Here, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, I, 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 need, I need to ask this question. What's coming out of your heart? Now, many of us will claim the name of Jesus. But your words. Don't authenticate the message that you're claiming. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, since. I'll blame it on the pandemic. We blame everything else on the pandemic. Since the pandemic, there has been, maybe you've noticed it on, you know, Facebook or the Twitterverse or whatever you do uh, or, or don't do, or maybe just the newspaper news, but there has become a critical spirit in our country. Have you noticed it? Everybody feels like they have the voice and ought to make their opinions and thoughts known no matter what it costs. And I'll, I'll just tell you, church family, that has come into God's church. And I, I talk to pastors all the time, pastor friends. And I was sitting down with one just the other day and he said there is a critical spirit And if, if out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, what does a critical voice say about your heart? What does grumbling say about your heart? What does complaining say about your heart? What does negativity, because we, we might not ever even voice these things to people, but we know that we're, we can be negative. We know we can be grumbling on the inside. What does that say about our heart? We must see, we must see that Jesus is getting at this idea that what is inside you will come out of you. 
So I think each one of us need to take an introspective look and say, where in me does negativity, complaining, anger, frustration come out? Because that might be revealing what's really on the inside. And Lord, don't let me convince myself that I'm okay when I'm not okay. Or like Jeremiah the prophet says, do you say to the people lightly, peace, peace, when there is no peace? Don't let me convince myself that I'm all right. If my heart's not all right. See, in this passage, they said the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. He has become my salvation. The content of their heart spilled over in singing. So we're, a, we're created to be a singing people. We, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth sings. I know I changed that, but you'll get it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth sings. The third thing I want you to see is singing refocuses the heart. Chapter 14 began with the people grumbling about the circumstances. In chapter 15, the people are no longer occupied with their circumstances. But who are they occupied with? The Lord. In verses 1 to 21, 13 times is the, uh, the, the proper name Yahweh used. 13 times. 35 times the pronouns for God are used in this song. So who is this song all about? Yahweh. It's all about Him. Singing refocuses our heart. Remember, if out of the abundance of the heart the mouth sings or speaks, sometimes our hearts wonder. That's why I love that hymn so much. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. In song, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Singing refocuses us. It refocuses our heart on Him. Singing is not circumstantial. Singing to Yahweh is not circumstantial. Example, Job. Job. Now, I'm not saying that he sang there, but what does it say? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away what? Finish it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not circumstantial. Aren't you glad that you're... That, 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 even though we let our circumstances affect God, God is not defined by the circumstances that we are going through. Isn't that good news? That He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That He is immutable. That nothing can change His character. Nothing can change His purposes. Nothing. Not you, not I. Now, I know there might be some people in here who might be a little uh, down because of the outcome of an election. But church family, isn't Jesus still on the throne? Do we worship like it? Or are we bummed out? What are we letting affect us? It's not circumstantial. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord, verse 2, is my strength and He is my song. Not the circumstances, not the blessings, not all the things that He did for me, but He, He is my strength. He is my song. Question, is that true of you? Is He your strength? 
Is He your song? Don't miss the connection between focus and strength, between focus and joy. What happens when we lose our focus on God? Don't we lose the joy of the Lord? Don't we, when we lose the joy of the Lord, don't we then seem like we just don't want to do anything anymore? We lose our strength when we lose our joy. We lose our joy when we lose our focus. They're interconnected here. That's why Nehemiah chapter 8, I think it's verse 10, says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. A.W. Pink says it like this. He says, joy is the spontaneous overflowing of a heart that is preoccupied with the person and work of Jesus. It's not circumstantial, but is your heart completely tied up in Christ? Is He your strength? Is He your song? Divine strength and spiritual song are inseparable right here in Moses' words, in Moses' song, inseparable. It refocuses us. That's why worship is so important that you come in and you're burdened with the weak and you go, I just want to lay that down. I want to sing true things about God. I want to sing because I want to be who you've created me to be. I want the abundance of my heart to spill out. I want to refocus. And the last thing that I want you to see is singing and mission are always combined. Singing and mission. Singing and mission. Sounds like a weird thing to say. Singing and mission. Now, this idea right here in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 15, this first corporate song is now repeated many, many times throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. And it is a way to share what God has done through song. Singing and mission always go together. Acts chapter 16 is a great example of that. Do you remember Paul and Silas are in prison for preaching the gospel? And in prison, what are they doing there? Singing and what? They're praying, they're singing hymns to the Lord. They're praying and singing hymns to the Lord. Chapter 16, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. I mean, all right, just a, let me, this might be a stretch here, but we are Paul and Silas in this story for a moment. And we are in this big prison called the world, which is a mess, and we're living in it. We're exiles in this foreign land, and let me tell you, prisoners are listening. Prisoners are listening to what you and I are saying. And our our singing either declares that Jesus is of ultimate value or my circumstances drive who I am. Singing does. What I'm saying, singing and mission. What am I saying with my life? What are we declaring? In this case, Acts 16, verse 25, they were praying and singing hymns and the prisoners are listening. God, in the middle of that, shows up. He does something miraculous. The prison uh, gates are opened. The lights go out. There's an earthquake. And 
in the middle of that, seeing an opportunity to leave, they don't leave, they stay right there. The prison guard comes in, he's about to take his life for losing his job, and Paul says, don't hurt yourself, we're all still here. What happens? And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he said to them, or he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They were listening to what God's people were singing in the middle of a prison cell. What are you saying? What is, what's coming out of you? Why? Because there's a watching world of people who need hope. Our world is a mess, but it is a mess that is giving us an opportunity to be light and salt. Are we looking at this world around us and saying, all of these things are the contents of my life? Or are we saying, no, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. Yahweh and Yahweh alone. What are they looking at when they look at you? We see all these truths played out right here in this passage with Paul and Silas. They're created to sing. Out of the abundance of the heart, their mouth sings. It's refocusing their heart. And let me tell you, church family, we need to be careful what we're singing, what we're saying, because there's a world dying for hope. And there's only one name given among men by which they can be saved. What are you saying? We're a singing people. When somebody comes in the doors of this church and they watch the church family here at SBC worship, what are they thinking about you? No offense, they're judging us. Do these people really believe what they're saying? Or have they just showed up for a service? And what I want them to find here when they come in is that through our words and through our preaching that people would, and through our singing, that people would gather that Jesus Christ is all in all to them. Nothing else matters. Grumbling gets shut down. Complaining gets shut down. Why? Because Jesus Christ is everything. And if they can do that in the middle of the world that we live in, I want a piece of the hope they have. Let's pray. Father, I think we owe you an apology. I know we owe you an apology. Father, just in my own heart, how easy is it to lose focus and to transition from being a people who's been created to sing to being a person who complains, who's negative, who's frustrated, who's angry. And so, Lord, I, I just want to ask for your forgiveness. When I let the enemy gain a foothold in my life and and where you no longer are my strength, are my song. 
Father, I, I pray for us. If there's anybody else in this room that admits and acknowledges, Father, that their heart has been off focus. Help refocus us. Help turn us. So that our hearts might be filled with the things of God and our song might come from us. Father, we love you. Be, be our strength and our song. And for anybody in this room that has not trusted Jesus, become their salvation. We love you and we need your help as we're ever changing to be more like Jesus, we pray in your name. And everybody said, would you stand and let's sing together.